0: from NJ.com. This is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round.
1: Welcome, Giants fans, to the latest episode of the Talk is Cheap podcast right here on NJ.com. As always, I'm Matt Lombardo, joined by my friend and colleague, Zach Rosenblatt. And Zach, as we are recording this on a Wednesday afternoon, the Giants have just wrapped up their first full team practice. Now, there's no pads, there's no hitting, but today was the day, the first day that Joe Judge, after the ongoing pandemic, could get on the practice field with his entire team for the first time. So certainly a momentous day in recent Giants history (laughs) It's pretty crazy, I
0: mean it's August 12th today Um, that's, That's just insane, I mean normally they'd be preparing for their first preseason game this week, right?
1: Yeah, you know what, I was having this conversation with my wife the other night, like my complete, you know, concept of time has just gone out the window, because you and I haven't seen our first training camp practices that will happen next week. We haven't seen a preseason game, there were no OTAs, there were no mini camps. And I know fans to a certain extent mark their lives and their milestones by, you know, football seasons or major sporting events and all that. But our lives are really defined by when we're watching practices, when we're traveling when the season starts and when it ends. And here we are. The calendar has turned to August. It's now about to be mid-August. We haven't seen a practice or anything like that. So, yeah, it's just been very bizarre. But certainly it feels like football, as long as the coronavirus can be kept at bay from these facilities, is about to kick into high gear. Yeah, you know, we, we've even started to finally
0: get some semblance of like a day-to-day schedule where we're getting players or coaches at 12, 12.30 every day, where before we kind of like- didn't know if or when we would get them and so there's kind of it's not normal certainly like these interview settings have been awkward for everybody i think um and it's become a little bit more of a challenge for us to even like do our jobs to the extent that we normally would during camp. But it is kind of nice like that the, the pages may be turning and, you know, starting next week, as you mentioned, we won't even be able to go to practice at the same time together. There's like a limited amount of reporters that can be there. So we're going to be like switching off. And so that's going to be weird. And we're going to be like communicating remotely. And like, you won't be ta- we won't be talking to any players while we're there. It'll all be via Zoom either in your car or like in this trailer that they're setting up for like 10 reporters with no air conditioning. Like not to complain about like the well with me reporter stuff, but like just give you an insight of like what our life is going to be like the next few weeks. And
1: Yeah, my plan is to take the little umbrella that comes with my daughter's kiddie pool. I've already put that in the trunk. I put one of my tailgate chairs uh, that I take to concerts and college football games. That's already in the trunk. And as soon as practice ends, I will be setting up shop with the umbrella, with a bottle of water in the parking lot and doing my work right there. That's the plan. And certainly it's going to be a bizarre training camp, but I don't know about you, Zach. I'm looking forward to really getting into it. And we're going to break it all down through the rest of the podcast. But uh, just some house. Keeping before we get to that. Um, if you like what you hear on the show, we would love if you would subscribe on the Apple Podcast Store, uh, the Talk is Cheap podcast. Of course, if you found us, you know how to find us on there. Uh, leave us those five star reviews. Let us know what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show, and give us a follow on Twitter. He's at Zach Bat. I'm at Matt Lombardo NFL. And of course, um, if you want to interact with us directly and kind of cut out the social media nonsense, go to nj.com slash text and sign up for the Giants Insider Tech Service. So now that we have that all out of the way that those are really zach the best ways to keep up to date on the latest giants news as camp and the season begins
0: yeah especially as you know there's only going to be something like 12 to 14 reporters in total at giants practices it's going to be different team by team but like that's going to be like our our that's our first time we're getting to see these guys at all we're, we're going to be actually able to have observations and i don't know where like the we're going to be able to watch practice from but that, that that's where you're going to want to like pay attention to everything we're writing and and everything we're tweeting and texting and all that stuff because that's kind of where the, the the closest we're going to get to insight because Joe Judge has already shown he's pretty prone to secrecy and he's kind of trained his players to be the same way. So I am curious to see like how it looks or what our angle is and 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 what we're able to like surmise from what we watch, but uh, it's it's going to be like the first look we have at Like what the defense is going to look like, you know, who in theory, like is running with the first team and and all that stuff. So um, it's going to be very interesting to actually be able to watch practice because it's it's been I I haven't watched a, a practice in any sort probably since January when I was covering the Eagles playoff run like that was the last time.
1: Yeah, it's been a while. And and, yeah, I think the defense is a really good place to start because, you know, that's where a lot of the question marks lie, right? Because if you look at the Giants offense, you know that Daniel Jones, uh, this is a pivotal year for his development as a quarterback. You know what Saquon Barkley brings to you week in and week out. The wide receivers are what they are, and you hope that they can stay healthy and actually get on the field for one or hopefully for the Giants' sake, 16 games together. It didn't happen once all year last year where they had Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, Evan Ingram, and Saquon Barkley together. Ingram, this is kind of a make or break year for him in terms of taking that next step towards being an elite tight end and the offensive line in theory will be rebuilt, but the defense Zach, I think is where you that, that's where the issues belie in terms of this team's ceiling because the defensive line I think has the potential to be the strength of the entire roster, but you start to move back from there and the question marks just continue to stack on top of one another, especially at corner. And the Giants did a nice job bringing in James Bradbury as a veteran and they they drafted Darnay Holmes and they drafted Chris Williamson. Uh, But beyond that... With DeAndre Baker now charged with four counts of armed robbery and on the commissioner's exempt list, you have a glaring hole at right cornerback. You have a lot of uncertainty in the nickel with Holmes, Julian Love, Corey Ballantine, Grant Haley, and you don't really have that second body who's best suited to play outside. So if I look at this Giants team, I think cornerback has a chance to be um, the biggest weakness on the entire roster. Yeah,
0: it's funny. We talked about that I believe on the last pod, how number two cornerback was our biggest question. And if it seemed like the Giants were close to answering that because they had reportedly like agreed to sign um, uh, Ross Cockrell from the, from the Panthers. And I I viewed that as a major upgrade over what they had last year. And, and, uh, and, you know, It didn't work out, you know, as a lot of contracts haven't been really working out. It's kind of been a weird offseason. It sounds like they went through the protocols and then the negotiations hit a snag. So he's not coming here now. And so all of a sudden they're back to square one and it's kind of back to being the number one topic because it went from looking like, all right, top to bottom, you could argue the secondary is better just about every spot uh, when you factor in even like Dribble Pepper's being healthy is a factor and you know upgrade of James Bradbury and you know, upgrade of Xavier McKinney and in theory Julian Love or Darnay Holmes at the at the nickel corner and then you have Cockerell at the other outside who would be probably better than DeAndre Baker was last year you would hope
1: At least a veteran person, right? Somebody who had played opposite of James Bradbury a year ago in Carolina and even Cockrell is a guy who is not necessarily a true outside cornerback because he has the versatility to play both and that really seems to be the buzzword and the prerequisite for these defensive backs because outside of Bradbury, you look at Darnay Holmes, probably better suited to play the nickel. You look at Corey Ballantyne, I guess you can get him playing outside or nickel. Sam Beal opting out just after we recorded this podcast last week surprise surprise <laughs> There was breaking news after we you know recorded the podcast but Beal opting out you lost another potential outside corner and Xavier McKinney certainly seems like he's going to walk in day one as you're starting free safety but he also has the ability to move into the nickel so um, you can talk all you want about the potential safeties and nickels that they have they need a warm body yeah who can play outside cornerback, because I don't know that they have two outside cornerbacks on the roster right now. And interestingly,
0: I mean, it, it is possible this is Coach B, because as we said, Joe Judge has made it clear he's not going to give away anything yet. But he did mention today that he doesn't think they need a veteran cornerback. Um, and if you want to point to why they definitely do, you could just look at last season. Like, the, There's a lot of like people pushing back the idea they need a veteran. Let the young guys play, blah, blah, blah. We'll look at how that went last year, especially once uh, Janoris Jenkins was gone. And you were stuck with DeAndre Baker, Corey Ballantyne, and Sam Bill were your three corners, and it was a disaster. So, like, that's what they're – I mean, James Bradbury is better than any of these young guys, and that's good. But the other side of that field, like, you, you need someone who at least knows what he's doing out there at minimum. And then, you know, once the young guys are ready, you put them in there. Because, you know, as we've talked about, this is a short off season. So, you know, and it's not like there's anyone on free agent market where you're like, man, that guy would be amazing here. But there are guys like Morris Claiborne or – you know, Drake, Kirkpatrick, Logan Ryan apparently wants to play safety. So he's probably off the table at that point. And he probably wants too much money anyway. Uh, and then, I mean, I guess in theory they could try out Cockrell again, but I'm guessing that ship has sailed. So, I mean, you're looking at guys like that who, you know, are past their prime or whatever, but they're veterans. Um, they're capable. They're at very least capable of just playing in a defense uh, and playing on the outside and letting Darnay Holmes focus on the slot and letting Julian Love be a hybrid safety corner. And if you don't do that, then you're kind of, playing guys who aren't ready to play or out of position and you know it's just really big question mark right now and they're really like testing what patrick graham is going to be able to do because he's going to have to really get creative to create a pass rush so you don't have uh, the other team just throwing it to that side of the field every play
1: No doubt about it. And I look at a guy like Morris Claiborne, who is probably best suited out of that group to play outside. And even him, he's a guy who has played nickel before as well. And last year, he, you know, in a limited role with the Chiefs, had 10 tackles um, and no interceptions. He was only targeted seven times. He allowed four passes according – four completions, rather, according to Pro Football Focus. Claiborne's a guy that you keep an eye on. But the the thing you have to remember here is – it's August 12th, right? So these guys have been on the street. They're still free agents for a reason. Teams have had ever since March to sign these guys and scoop them up. And I know that the pandemic has thrown a monkey wrench into a lot of this because you are not able, you weren't able until this week to bring guys in for tryouts and that kind of limits your scope of evaluation. But you, these aren't your top flight, top of the line, top of the market type of defensive backs. You're shopping in the bargain basement. And, and I know that bringing in young talent, And I think that the bottom of the depth chart, whether they keep Corey Ballantyne or not, whether they keep Grant Haley or not, bringing in Darnay Holmes and bringing in Williamson and certainly bringing in Xavier McKinney, I think that they have upgraded the bottom of their depth chart. But that's nice and that's well and good if you're talking about developing these guys to contribute in 2021 and 2022 as potential starters. But you were banking on Sam Beal being that guy developing this year. You had hoped Ballantyne would take that step forward and maybe he will to become a starter but you know his first impression last year left a lot to be desired and DeAndre Baker a first round pick a guy you traded a third round pick up to go and get he's now off the table so you've lost a year of development with two of your three young cornerbacks chosen over the last two years and you're really putting a lot of pressure on the bottom of this depth chart stepping up not in 2020 but in 2021.
0: Yeah and even beyond that like you mentioned how these young guys didn't really show enough last year and Sam Biel's supposed to be the guy that jumped in for baker and even then though that would have been a huge question mark as we talked about before we knew beal was opting out um because you're you know we're talking about you know darnay holmes can be the nickel well he was a fourth round pick for a reason as well. Like, there's a reason why he fell to the fourth round because I don't know if all the other teams thought he was ready to be a starter on day one and the Giants are almost by default going to have to have him get there. I'm pretty high on him. I think he has a lot of potential, but, you know, it's really hard to come in as a rookie and and play as well as you need to. I mean, we saw that with DeAndre Baker. I think Darnay Holmes maybe has a better work ethic than deandre did last year i don't know if he's as naturally talented so like there's already a question at the nickel at the least if darnay is there and then now you have a glaring hole at at the second cornerback spot where you know if the season started tomorrow then the the number two corner would probably be ballantyne or chris williamson who's a seventh round pick like that that's really alarming and and i don't know that i believe joe judge when he says they don't need a veteran I, i i would hope that that is just coach speak
1: yeah, that feels like a Bill Belichick ism. And you wrote a really nice story today on, you know, Joe Judge, the mistake that he could be making trying to be the next Bill Belichick, as Eric Mangini has in the past and Matt Patricia is in the process of doing right now. But, you know, you think back to the Combine, and I remember up and down Joe Judge talking about how you don't bring in veteran players to babysit yeah. young players or coach young players. It, you hope that it's coach speak, but they've kind of followed through on that. right because other than bringing in James Bradbury to be the anchor when you needed an anchor of that secondary because of all the uncertainty that we've spent 10 minutes talking about at cornerback they brought in Blake Martinez as a potential upgrade over Alec Ogletree they haven't exactly signed veterans for the sake of signing veterans and you almost wonder if Judge took a look around the roster and I'm still wholly convinced that he looked at the cornerback depth chart and that's why they took two cornerbacks that they looked at the linebacker depth chart and said that that that's not good enough that's why they drafted three or four linebackers in April I almost wonder if judge looks around and says okay I know that this team isn't going to push for a playoff spot this year and I'm better off developing these young players developing these young defensive backs these young linebackers these young offensive linemen getting them seasoned in 2020 and then going shopping with either Dave Gettleman or a new general manager that I handpick going into 2021 to get veteran players." to supplement a young core rather than bringing in a patchwork veteran this year that would prevent some of the young guys from getting reps.
0: Yeah, I I think that that would be an understandable way of thinking about it. That would also be an indication that maybe the team is punting on this year more than they're willing to let on and, you know, that kind of goes against the idea that John Merrow was like, we if the team isn't more competitive this year, then Gettleman's out or whatever. Like, that wasn't his exact phrasing, but it might as well have been. So, the, like, it, you, you can't, like, have it both ways, which they've tried to have for the last few years. But, I mean, Joe Judge is in reality running this team. So, um, if he just wants to see what the young guy have I get it. Uh, I would at least, you know, even if it's just for training camp, where you bring in a guy like Claiborne and see if he has anything left in the tank. And if he's any good, then maybe he's good enough to be here next year when you start competing more. Um, So I I think it makes sense. I don't think it would cost very much to bring in a guy like that. Because as you mentioned, there's a reason why he's available. He's not like a Logan Ryan type player who can ask for a lot of money, even if nobody's giving it to him. Yeah, that would that would be you know that that just remains the biggest hole on the depth chart on defense because you know you have a lot of other question marks but not necessarily holes like at edge rusher as we've talked about you know you have Lorenzo Carter and uh, Oshane Simon as competing for the side opposite Marcus Golden with Kyler Fackrell like those are all question marks but those are guys that in theory are talented enough to like hold down the fort if they if they live up to it and you know you have Xavier McKinney at safety as a rookie you have Ryan Connolly coming off injury and you have those defensive linemen like there's some question mark but corner is the one where you're like they're in trouble more than a question mark
1: Yeah, and I spoke to Brian Baldinger a month ago, and this is before, this is right in the aftermath of the incident involving DeAndre Baker, and he basically told me that he didn't think it was a sure thing that Baker would start at right cornerback because of what he showed on film, not necessarily because of the off-the-field issues. Just, that that's how low Baldy was on DeAndre Baker, and if that's your first-round pick, and that was who you were counting on to be a starter, that just underscores the issues at corner, but you bring up McKinney, and you, you bring up the fact that they have these young rookies, and, and you know, I kind of talked about the value of playing them early. You know, th- some people have talked about why you shouldn't rush, you know, rookies onto the field. McKinney's a guy who's a second-round pick, playing out of an elite program at Alabama. You're starting Xavier McKinney at safety, right? I mean, oh, yeah. you, you have Jabril Peppers at strong safety. You have Xavier McKinney at free safety. And while you expect some growing pains from him, he was a second-round pick arguably the number one safety in the class, I have pretty high expectations from him stepping in. And while you have to weather through the growing pains, I I think McKinney could have a pretty good year. Yeah, especially because, you know,
0: and this kind of goes into Patrick Graham talking about how multiple the defense is going to be. And you can be that because of a guy like McKinney who, you know, it wasn't quite at the level of like Isaiah Simmons, but he was like a pseudo Simmons in the way he lined up at Alabama last year. He was lining up in the nickel at both safety spots uh, coming off the edge at linebacker, like he he was doing all of those things, and the ability to move him around is going to be why you know he can make an impact right away. Even if he makes the occasional mistake in coverage or you know whatever misses a few tackles, like I the 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 floor is pretty high for him and the ceiling is even higher. I think so. I, I'm very interested to see how they deploy him. And yeah, he he's a starter day one without question to me. He's almost a, a more of a sure thing than Julian Love, who I think you know is still learning how to play safety and he might play some corner anyway.
1: Yeah, I think it's more likely you see you know Julian Love line up as your nickel corner than you are playing him at safety. And I, what I'm going to be fascinated with is how do they use Jabril Peppers with McKinney back there? Right? Are you going to play a couple? You're going to play single high safety with McKinney, and then kind of deploy Jabril Peppers in that Isaiah Simmons role as a linebacker up near the line of scrimmage? Are you going to play too high safety at times? Can you play some Tampa two coverage? The amount of different looks that Patrick Graham is going to be able to give opposing offenses because of the two vastly different skill sets of peppers and mckinney it's going to be fascinating to watch this year
0: yeah and i am curious to see how he kind of racks the the question marks at corner like i wonder if that means they're going to go with extra defensive backs to kind of help out whoever's on that side like maybe that's why you have julian love as kind of a roving like third safety slash nickel corner and like he's there are ways for him to work around it but you shouldn't have to like scheme your defense to to fix the biggest hole on the roster just fill that hole
1: Yep, and we're going to get an up-close-and-personal glimpse of this scheme, of what's going to happen in the secondary, of this offense's potential uh, beginning next Friday, right? Because we kind of talked about the fact that the pads go on for the first time Monday, and that's really when football and training camp starts in earnest. But Joe Judge revealed today, Zach, that the Giants are going to hold full mock scrimmages every Friday in camp. So it's going to be like a high school game where you have the offense on one sideline, defense on the other sideline, and what really intrigued me, me is, Zach, these are going to be live. We're talking full contact, tackling to the ground, game speed, and Judge stressed the fact that not only a couple weeks ago he touched on the importance of coaches going through the mechanism of calling a game you know, with these players and working through the communication of how game day is going to function, but getting these players up to football speed, because just like we touched on at the beginning of the podcast, how you know there's no preseason games, which should be starting this week. There haven't even been any full-speed practices or prided practice this is now into the second week of August. It's going to be really interesting to watch a full-speed mock game, Giants inter-squad scrimmage, two of them, on Friday the 21st and Friday the 28th. Yeah, I think
0: Judd's kind of described it as like they, the, he wants the players to think of it like it's Friday night lights when they're in high school playing on Fridays because this is kind of the, the replacement for the preseason um I'm, you know, I, I know it's gonna be full padded. I'm curious to see like what that looks like because you still do have to kind of limit it just because you don't. I'm sure the quarterbacks aren't going to be getting hit for, for example. I would, for I would sure. imagine. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that kind of changes things a little bit, especially if you're trying to get this pass rush going. But you know, it's it's gonna be our first exposure to a lot of these guys to lean. You know, what kind of look like Jason Garrett as an offensive coordinator is a big wild card. Like we don't know what he's gonna look like. He hasn't been one since 2012. He didn't really want to talk about. He didn't really want to talk about much actually uh, when we talked to him, but about his Cowboys tenure at least, but he hasn't been offensive coordinator in a long time where he called plays. So we don't know if he's adapted his philosophies, if he's creative. Now, you know, it's going to be our first look at Daniel Jones, new look, Daniel Jones, his first time playing with all these weapons at the same time since training camp last year, technically. Um, and yeah just like all the stuff we're talking there's all these you know Xavier McKinney and Darnay Holmes and training camp's kind of where you where young guys emerge and you know you get a little too excited about somebody who isn't actually wind up being that good in the regular season
1: like a Reggie White Jr. Yeah. last year practice squad darling is a wide receiver you know, big time preseason everybody thought he would stick and wound up on the practice squad and you know didn't make it through the first round of cuts but you know you and I have both covered Doug Peterson in a previous life I covered Pat Shermer practices last year and while, while there's a certain element of physicality to these training camp practices under those coaches. Joe Judge, with these scrimmages, and I almost have the feeling that we're going to kind of be um, shown show some enlightenment on Monday. I think you're going to see a much more physical training camp imported from the way that Bill Belichick and the Patriots do business and what we've seen um, with kind of the drill sergeant nature of Patricia in Detroit, not only with these physical scrimmages, but physical meat grinder type of practices. And you think back to that press conference when he was first introduced as the Giants head coach and talking about wanting to embody the physicality of the New York, New Jersey region. I think that starts in camp. And it's going to be, you know, really interesting to see how players respond to that because. Again, it's not three weeks of a month of training camp practices. It's truncated to two weeks of padded practices. But still, today's players, I don't know how they're going to react to physical, hard nosed, live, two, you know, type of practice sessions that have kind of gone by the wayside in the NFL in recent years.
0: Yeah. And that's kind of like. You know, to go back to the story you mentioned that I wrote, like that was something that like Eric Mangini got in a lot of trouble for because his practices were like too hard. Um, so Judge, you know, there's going to have to be a fine line, certainly, especially because I imagine a lot of these guys aren't in the shape they actually need to be. Uh, so it's going to be very interesting to see like how much you can do it. But it's very like Tom Coughlin even asked. Like the a lot of the quotes he had in that press conference, uh, the intro one, were like sounded like something Giants fans really like to hear where, you know, they're, they're you know, punch you in the mouth type of team. They're going to run the ball a lot. Um, And yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see like how that manifests itself in practice starting next week. And I'm sure these guys are all raring to get out there and hit each other because it's been a while.
1: Yeah, certainly. And then they're going to be a little bit extra excited to wind up hitting a team in another uniform. But this year, the, the unique challenge is you're not getting to face another guy wearing a different color jersey and helmet until week one against the Steelers, hopefully. Yeah, and they're, and they're the last
0: game of the week that week, too. So they have the longest wait, if you think about it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. So you brought up Jason Garrett, and you know he didn't want to touch on anything in his press conference with us pertaining to his career with the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, but I thought he was pretty enlightening When it comes to talking about Daniel Jones, he kept calling him a football guy and he praised his work ethic and he praised the fact that he has all of the tools mechanically and in his skill set and that he's excited to get him on the field and work with him. Um, Zach, what were your impressions of Garrett and and what do you think that Garrett's going to be able to do in terms of helping elevate Daniel Jones's game to the level where when you talk to executives around the league, I had a GM tell me last month that he thinks that Daniel Jones is pretty soon going to be the Giants' second best player on the roster. Just your thoughts on Garrett and his influences on Jones and the ceiling that those two have um this year. Yeah. Well, my my first takeaway when we were in that press conference is
0: that like I've never seen someone just smile for such a like long period of time without stopping the way he did. Like he was just smiling. He must just maybe he's just happy to be back in New York. I don't know. But he was, was just smiling from second one until the end. And it was just it was very interesting to see. Um but yeah, you know. We didn't get any coffee. I yeah, I know. Yeah, so I know. <laughs> Unfortunate. I'm sure we'll see plenty of that next week. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by him at the very least. Like, there's definitely reason to be skeptical, but um, I, I also think the criticism is a little overblown that he went through. I, I think Jerry Jones is, you know, kind of pulling the strings there, as everybody knows, and, and he didn't actually have that much control over the offense, even if, you know, maybe he was the final decision maker on game day or whatever, but... Yeah, you know, I, I think he could he could be really good for Daniel Jones. He's a former quarterback on top of coaching Dak Prescott and Tony Roma, which you wrote about. And, you know, he should be able to get Daniel Jones at the very least to be more a more efficient quarterback and you know, maybe not, you know, take as many risks and not hold on to the ball too long. And I think that were that, that's where you'll see the Jason Garrett education either working or not working.
1: Yeah, and I think that, you know, the three benefactors here to Jason Garrett's hire are three of the more important players on this offense. It's Daniel Jones, it's Saquon Barkley, and it's Evan Ingram. Because, it, you know, it, health has always been a going concern for Ingram. He's never played a 16-game schedule. Last year he gets hurt in week eight or week nine with the Liz Frank sprain and spent his entire offseason rehabbing from that. But you look at what Jason Witten did, putting together a Hall of Fame caliber career in that system, and with a young quarterback. We've talked about this before on the podcast Ingram has a chance to develop into not only Daniel Jones' security blanket, but he could also be in the passing game kind of the guy that drives the engine because Daniel Jones was most efficient last year throwing between the hash marks and Ingram could really dominate that area. And then you look at Barkley and you compare him to what Ezekiel Elliott was able to do in Dallas with an improved offensive line and with Barkley's skill set, you could see him push for the rushing title this year, in my opinion. So I think that a lot of hard decisions and conversations and for a lot of very important reasons went into the decision to hire Jason Garrett especially because Joe Judge is so inexperienced as a head coach but I think just boiling it back to the basics that the three players that matter maybe the most to the trajectory of this franchise stand to benefit the most from Jason Garrett being hired as offensive coordinator was probably near the top of John Maris and Joe Judge's list to bring him in here yeah and
0: and I am just very curious to see like how much different this I know I mentioned this earlier, but like I'm curious to see how creative he gets because he has the weapons to be creative. He has you know Saquon Barkley who can line up wide if you need him to. He has Deion Lewis, they can do two running back back uh, sets. You know, they have Caden Smith, they can have two tight ends out there. Uh, Golden Tate and Sterling Shepherd have both have the ability to play in the slaughter outside. Darius uh, Slayton is a speed guy. You can just make him go deep. Like there's just like so much uh, weapons for him to work with. I know the offensive line is more of a question mark, but um, like there's no if Jason if this offense isn't scoring a lot of points, like I imagine there'll be a lot of high scoring games. Yeah, if, if we're wrong. not going to score a lot of points, then Jason Garrett's not gonna, you know, get the next head coaching job that he desires because that would just be a massive disappointment.
1: Yeah, no doubt about that. And I I think there's a lot to be said about that. And I think that there's a lot of potential for this offense to be explosive based on the personnel. But it's funny you bring up the unpredictability, because if you go back to Pat Shurmur's first training camp in 2018, my first training camp on the beat... <laughs> All of the conversation centered around, oh, the unpredictability and can you move Barkley around and you can put him in the slot and you can put him out wide and you can throw to him out of the backfield. And, uh, you know, as a guy who watched every snap of Barkley's career at Penn State, I was kind of screaming every week, hey, line him up out wide, get him involved in the passing game, create some opportunities for him in space. And that never really came to fruition with Pat Shermer. But with Jason Garrett now here and given his track record of what he was able to do with Elliott, I I do wonder if all of the conversation and all of the talk about unpredictability under the previous coaching staff winds up coming to fruition with this new staff.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, you're you're totally right because I, I even I mean you paid more attention to Shermer the last couple of years obviously than I did but if you just look at even the second half of last year they were not targeting Saquon like at all in the passing game I know he was banged up but like that that's just bonkers because he was such a good pass catcher coming out of Penn State and he's so dynamic with the ball in his hands like he can score anytime he touches the ball that I, I never understood why Daniel Jones and the offense wasn't geared more towards dump offs to him when the when everything was breaking down which happened quite a bit.
1: Yeah, and it's not just the dump offs. So you talk about designed yeah. wheel routes. So you talk about putting him in the slot and having crossing patterns with him and Evan Ingram or him and Golden Tate, just getting him the ball in space. Especially last year when the offensive line was really struggling getting him to the second level, and this, they had the same issues a lot of times in his rookie season where he was taking contact a yard and a half behind the line of scrimmage. I just couldn't figure out why Pat Shermer and and why Mike Shula. Didn't make a more concerted effort to get Barkley the ball in space, and I think that that's going to be an area. Now that you have Dion Lewis, you can kind of create some of those situations and have some creativity manifest itself with leaving Lewis in the backfield and then putting Barkley out in the slot or running him out on pass patterns, just to create some unpredictability with an improved backfield all around. Yeah, there's a lot of different
0: sets that Garrett can run, and you know, I imagine they'll shuffle it around a lot and. At least I would, um, and and you know, that, I mean, that is a topic too. The fact that this group has never had everybody together at the same time um, between Saquon, Evan Ingram, uh, Slayton Tate, and uh, Sterling Shepard, like them all in the field at the same time, is going to be because you, you would think, you know, they're not going to double any of those guys in theory. Maybe maybe Evan Ingram would be the one that you would have somebody spying him or something, but like there there should these guys should be able to get open. They have the speed to do it. They have the route running ability and. You know, Daniel Jones is going to have to hit them on the money because there's going to be a lot of opportunities for this offense to make explosive plays this year.
1: Yeah, there really are. And I think that that's where this offense is going to reach its potential or not, is how many of those X plays can they connect on? And conversely, like we touched on for the first 15 minutes of the pod, this defense, it's going to be reliant on two things. How many X plays do you give up? Because this team gave up more than its fair share over the last two years of big plays over the top, 20-plus yard passing plays that just break your back, especially in close games late in the game. But also, what kind of push are you getting up front from your? defensive line we saw last year it started and ended in a lot of ways with the dominance of Dexter Lawrence whether it was a defensive end or defensive tackle and then Leonard Williams how is he able to reach that potential or not this year those two guys and you know I continue to say I think defensive line is the deepest most talented position on this depth chart but those two guys hold the keys and Patrick Graham sounded pretty thrilled about the opportunity to work with Lawrence when we talked to him this week. yeah I asked uh I that was towards
0: the Patrick Graham so I didn't cover the team when I don't think you did either when he was a coach uh with the Giants before he was the defensive line coach back then by all accounts he was never a big interview guy and he never really expanded on much and you know when when he got asked about Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence in particular he kind of like you know beamed especially with Dexter Lawrence he was excited I asked him about like what are your members about him coming out of Clemson and he talked about you know you spend all this time you know you see how big he is at the combine and then and then, you know, I'm, I'm only coaching him via Zoom, so he's just only this little square on the computer screen. And then when he walks in person, you're like, okay, that's a big boy. And and then, you know, then, you know the combination of, like, that size and how athletic Dexter Lawrence is, you know, you could tell he's excited to use that. And the biggest thing he, like, harped on was, like, Dexter Lawrence has a rare level of effort for, like, a big guy up front. Like, he'll be chasing down a running back down the field. And I, I think that Dexter Lawrence, more than anybody – Maybe even on the roster that like is unexpected. I get like you know you expect Saquon, you expect uh, Daniel Jones to have a big season. Like Dexter Lawrence, like the ceiling for this guy is just so high. If he can stay in shape, if he can stay healthy, and just the way Patrick Graham is willing to rave about him, where this coaching staff doesn't seem like one that's going to be openly talking about specific guys in much detail. Uh, they, it seems like they're even getting the players and not really talk specifically, which is frustrating for us. But uh, we'll deal with that in our own way. But uh, yeah, Dexter Lawrence, man, I'm I'm just very curious to see how. Patrick Graham deploys him this year because I think he's very high on him.
1: Yeah, the athleticism and the versatility are the two things that really jump out of you about Lawrence. And you know, covering him from rookie mini camp last year all through his rookie season, I, I was excited about the Giants picking him. He was probably my favorite pick in the entire draft last year. But six foot four, three hundred and forty-five pounds, you don't see a guy move that quickly at that weight as as Dexter Lawrence does. And you know, the previous coaching staff moved him around a lot. Whether it was nose tackle and even lined him up at times at defensive end, he's disruptive. And you know, if we talk about the issues Lawrence Linebacker and the uncertainty over the second or third pass rusher behind Marcus uh, DeMarc, uh, behind uh, Marcus Golden and Kyler Fackrell, you're going to have to get that push up front. You're going to have to generate penetra- penetration with your front three. And you look at Lawrence a year ago; he had the two and a half sacks, he had the, the 38 total tackles. He's a guy that moves the pocket, whether it's from the interior or on the outside. And you know, you can talk all you want about this being a make or break season for whether Leonard Williams becomes an elite player or not I think this is the year that Dexter Lawrence really breaks out and can become a household name as big of a household name as defensive lineman Kevin yeah he he was training uh the latter half of the offseason with guys like Von Miller and DeForest
0: Buckner and there was like a few other really good pass rushers that were all training with him and I imagine he soaked all that up being around them and You know it's interesting, like this defensive line, like you mentioned, this is quite clearly their top guys. This is their most talented group on the whole roster, I think, Um, and they should be able, like, run stopping is all three of these guys between Dalvin Tomlinson, Leonard Williams, and Dexter. Like the three of them are all very good at stopping the run, so this team should should do a pretty good job at stopping the run. But as we mentioned, the the questions are going to come when they start throwing it down the field, and and that's when you know somebody of Dexter Lawrence. Leonard Williams and Dalvin Tomlinson is going to have to be a better pass rusher than they were last year. I think they're probably hoping Leonard Williams is that guy. Uh, he's shown he, he got seven sacks when you were at the Jets. He, he only had a half a sack with them last year. They're paying him to get a lot more than that. So I think Leonard Williams's pass rushing is going to be a major storyline this season, I think. <laughs>
1: Huge, and it's also going to be incumbent on the third pass rusher, whether that's Lorenzo Carter or Roshane Zimenez or someone that they drafted late in in the draft. They need to get a rotation of pass rushers because while we can look at Marcus Golden and everybody applauds his high motor and his effort, and I think that it was impressive to see him get double-digit sacks last year, and Kyler Fackrell is a little bit of an unknown because he had double-digit sacks two years ago, but he was coming off an injury last season, so he's kind of where – DeMarcus, DeMarcus, um, Marcus Golden, yeah. The, you know, Marcus Golden was coming off that injury. You know, you have a lot of uncertainties. So that front three is going to need to be the straw that stirs the drink for that pass rush. Yeah. Because you don't have many proven commodities. Over yeah. I
0: mean, there. and you don't even, I mean, you have Blake Martinez in the middle, but he's not a pass rush. Like he's never been a very good at getting to the quarterback either. And I don't, I don't, I don't know as much about Ryan Connolly, but he's coming off an injury. And so, you really, you're relying on a lot of unknowns and those three guys in theory are the knowns on that defense out of like almost anybody. Um, and, you know, I think we mentioned this last week. I imagine uh, like Jabril Peppers or Xavier McKinney is going to be brought in on blitzes quite a bit. Um, they're going to have to generate the pass rush somewhere, but yeah, it's going to start with that front three.
1: Yeah, it really is. And, you know, we talked about Marcus Golden. I thought it was interesting. He spent his off season and, You know, most guys will go and train with other players or they'll fly out to, you know, the offensive lineman went to Lane Johnson's, you know, offensive line academy like they do every year. Um, Marcus Golden went out and trained in solitude. He went out to a park, brought his cones with him, ran through the three cone drill, ran through pass rushing drills. And he's a guy who was coming off of that torn ACL. Came back last year, had to rehab most of his off season. Was still able to get double digit sacks. So here's a guy who finally has a full off season, back to training in his comfort zone. I think it's interesting that he goes about it and approaches it that way, just training with himself and getting his mind right and his body right all on his own. But you know, I, I'm really fascinated to see what his potential is now with a normal off season and not having to deal with rehabbing that injury. Yeah, and with Marcus Golden, the interesting thing about if
0: you like look at his career it's like every other year almost is when he has a, a good year and then a bad year. So the giants are hoping he has more of a year like last year where he had 10 sacks. And, you know, I think he's going to be highly motivated when he talked to us, he talked about that. Like I asked him um, how frustrating it was to free agency played out the way it did, where it seemed like none of the edge rushers really got a lot of love outside of the ones that got like franchise tagged. Uh, Cause you see Jadavian Clowney and Everson Griffin are remarkably still on the market and he was behind them in the pecking order. And then the giants tagged him. And I, I imagine that probably frustrated him a little bit. He's he's a he's a good trooper and he didn't he said it didn't bother him um i think it'd be fair to say it might have because i think that affected his market ultimately but he's back here and he's gonna be motivated to prove that he deserves another contract a multi-year deal which he hasn't been able to get since he's been a free agent and you know i'm very interested to see how the giants use him
1: it's crazy how many guys are kind of in it situations yeah. on this team, right? Because Marcus Golden, it's make or break whether you're going to get a long-term deal here or elsewhere. Leonard Williams, kind of, this is his opportunity playing on the franchise tag to prove that he has that first-round potential that he can reach, whether he's going to get a long-term contract from the Giants. Or if he doesn't live up to those expectations, he might just be a rotational player somewhere else in the league. You look at Jabril Peppers playing on the fifth-year option, another guy who needs to prove he can live up to that potential. Evan Ingram needs to prove that he can stay healthy. B.J. Hill, a guy that we never talk about but was a third-round pick two years ago, kind of fell off the map when the Giants traded for Williams I, in the first I place. I have like, as a rookie, it, too. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're looking at, you know, there's five to six players just off the top of our heads with something to prove in 2020. And while that motivation only gets you so far, it's also a lot of uncertainty where, okay, if these guys step up, the Giants, you know, maybe that is the difference between a win or two, but if they all kind of are flash in the pans or struggle or show that they, they can't take that next step in terms of their skill set and their potential, those are five guys that you thought going into this year would be key contributors that might be elsewhere next season. And that, that's another thing where it could be a running theme for the Giants in 2020. And that's the thing about this defense. Like they're relying on so many question marks that like
0: there's a scenario where none of the questions are answered. Like they're, there's no, there's very few like sure things on this defense. Even Dexter Lawrence, who we both are very high on, like he's not a sure thing. It's his second year. You know he had a pretty good rookie year. Once you have film on a rookie, they either go one way or they go the other way. So like there, there's no sure. They they're paying James Bradbury to be the number one corner, which he's been before. You know you hope. Jabril Peppers can play. You hope Xavier McKinney is ready. You hope all these, you know, Blake Martinez is better at pass defense than he was in the Green Bay. Like, there's a, everybody, it seems, has a question mark on this defense. And, like, th- th- there's a scenario where it works out. Like, a lot of these guys have talent, they just haven't put it together yet. Or, you know, they're unproven or there's like a major flaw in their game. And the fact that they have so many guys without like one, like, you know, that's the guy who we can rely on every week. Like, I don't know who that, maybe Dalvin Tomlinson would be that guy, but he's a run stopping defensive tackle who can't really run. Dalvin yeah. Tomlinson,
1: another guy who's yeah. in contract years. So, you know, it's kind of a make it or break season for him as well. Yeah.
0: I think that's why the defense, like Patrick Graham has a lot tougher job ahead than Jason Garrett does. Cause you know, Patrick Graham almost as like Patrick Graham won't be blamed as much if the defense is bad because I don't know if it's his fault. Um, I mean, we'll judge that based on, like, how they use these guys or whatever. Uh, But if the offense doesn't work, then I think you can blame it on Jason Garrett in a lot of ways because that either means Daniel Jones has regressed or, you know, he wasn't able to put up points with an offense that has the weapons.
1: All right, Zach, before we get out of here, any final shots, any parting thoughts, and anything that you're going to be watching when we get to watch practice next week? Um, that's, that's a good question. Um, I, I'm just very,
0: honestly, like in, in terms of like last thoughts, I am just very curious to see how they approach this cornerback situation. Um, I'm sure as soon as we finish recording this, they'll sign Morris Claiborne, <laughs> <laughs> knock on wood, uh, set your watch to it. Yeah. Yeah. For, uh, for, uh, 20 minutes from now. Um, but yeah, in terms of like training camp next week, like I, I am curious to see how like a lot of these big guys, you know, handled the off season because, you know, as you mentioned, staying in shape, uh, It was they had to do it on their own. So you know, a guy like Dexter Lawrence, a guy like Leonard Williams, who has been banged up, Nick Gates got his new contract. Andrew Thomas, a rookie, like I'm I'm very curious to see how these guys are moving, because you'll you'll see pretty quickly, uh, especially when we watch the scrimmage. Like if these guys are dragging or if they're. Ready to go. And, uh, you know, the, the trenches is what Dave Gettleman hypes up. It's what he's invested all, almost all of his resources in over the last two years. And you're going to find out pretty quickly, I think, if this team has a chance of improving based on how those linemen look.
1: Oh, no doubt about it. And then, kind of the storyline that's flying under the radar to a certain extent, I know we're both very high on Darius Slayton, and I think that he has the chance to be a breakout star in this league. There's some pressure there, too, because the Giants, with, with a historically deep and talented wide receiver class, yep. didn't take a wide receiver. They didn't sign a receiver, and Corey Coleman was kind of their big offseason acquisition. In training camp and especially in this scrimmage, I'm fascinated and I'm excited to see what Darius Slayton's able to do when they put the pads on and things get a little bit more physical, especially when he lines up opposite somebody like James Bradbury, who is one of the league's better cornerbacks in zone coverage what kind of separation can he get what kind of playmaker can he be in that setting and does he pick up where he left off a year ago with that chemistry that him and Daniel Jones forged through their rookie year if he does then that's that's a, a tremendous bonus for the Giants and that's a playmaker and a guy that can be viewed as one of the Giants better picks in the last couple of years based on matching value with need um, but but if he shows that there could be a little bit of a sophomore slump or maybe he's not going to take that next step then you can kind of start to worry about what this wide receiver core is going to look like for daniel jones in a second year where having a dominant wide receiving core for a quarterback is just so pivotal to his development and, and to jump off that i am
0: one thing i am looking forward to is watching some of these guys we don't know much about like they have a, you know Corey coleman how he looks coming off that injury a couple of those undrafted receivers are interesting they have an undrafted running back i'm i'm into javon leak like Training camp is usually when we'd see these guys and interact with them. And, you know, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see, like, which of those guys look like they they get it. Because, you know, in the past, guys who did well in training camp often didn't make the roster, but there's no preseason. So if a guy is dominating, you know, even if it's against a third team in training camp, like the odds are he's going to make the team this year. Or he's going to make the practice squad. So it, it almost has more value if you. Go off in training camp because you don't have the possibility of being someone who doesn't show up on Sunday because Joe Judge won't really know if you don't show up on Sunday.
1: That's a great point, and it also kind of hurts you if you wind up not making the roster or making the expanded practice squad. There's no yeah. preseason tape for other teams to scoop you up, so you could see a lot of guys wind up out of the street, out of jobs, just because of the nature of the beast this season. That's a really great point.
0: Yep. Um, yeah
1: so the our next podcast will will get coming out next
0: Wednesday and at that point we'll have we'll both have seen one practice uh, and we'll be looking ahead to the scrimmage and I'm looking forward to that man
1: I'm excited for it. I'm excited to see football again, and I'm excited to be able to break it down with you all year. Once again, this is the Talk is Cheap podcast. He's Zach Rosenblatt. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Zach Blatt. I'm at Matt Lombardo NFL on Twitter, and you can also go ahead and follow the show at Talk is Cheap NYG. Go ahead, leave us those five-star reviews, subscribe to the podcast, check out the tech service at nj.com slash text. And Zach, it's just about football time, and I don't know about you, but I can't I'm wait. I'm
0: excited, man. Let's do it.